You're listening to Of Mountains and Minds and I am Caroline McKay. This is a podcast that talks to people who've been through big life-changing challenges or transitions in life. Welcome to this special bonus episode, folks. It's been a little while since we completed Series 7, but I asked this guest to be on the series and we ended up communicating after I'd stopped recording, but I really wanted to still record this one and I wanted to put it out as soon as I could. She's an amazing guest. She is called Jenny Ag. Jenny is a freelance writer and journalist writing mainly about women's health. She's written for titles such as Red, Women's Health, The Times, Mail, Telegraph and The Guardian. And I discovered her work and her experiences through a recent piece she wrote in April for The Guardian's Long Reads called My Four Miscarriages, Why is Losing a Pregnancy So Shrouded in Mystery? Jenny very kindly agreed to sit down with me less than a month from her due date in early July to talk about her experiences with pregnancy loss and pregnancy during the time of COVID and everything in between. I thought it was high time to cover fertility and pregnancy challenges and losses again. You can actually listen to a previous episode I put out on miscarriage, episode 35, with the amazing Natalie Scroggy also known as This Vet Runs on Twitter, talking about her miscarriage. But this was quite a while ago, so I wanted to delve into the topic a little bit deeper. I also wanted to share with you that I am currently pregnant as well, due in January 2021, which is a crazy date in my mind. Yeah, so my world is an exciting one, a scary one, and a very new one at the moment. And it's something I've wanted for a long time, so I'm feeling hugely grateful it's happened. I am going to take some time out though. After this bonus episode, I'm going to take a bit of a break from the podcast for a while. It's been a full on couple of years and I do feel like I need to take a bit of a pause and a step back, probably for the rest of this year until I give birth. So I do fully hope to be back and I will definitely keep you all updated, perhaps with one or two bonus episodes through the year as well, but we'll just see how that goes. I do need to focus on taking a bit more rest into my lifestyle, which I'm not very good at in general. So for all of my amazing patrons supporting the show on Patreon, rest assured I've paused all payments so you won't be paying anything until I start recording a new series. Keep your eye on the website of mountainsandminds.com for updates and I would still love to hear from you anytime so do feel free to get in touch with any suggestions for the next phase of the podcast and if anyone does want to sign up to be a patron you can still do so but you won't have to pay anything until I start recording you can still access all of the previous bonus content and I will hopefully be putting up some more bonus content also over the next month or so. So let's just get to it, shall we? Next up is the amazing force, Jenny Ag. Hi Jenny, welcome to the podcast. It's so lovely to get the chance to speak to you today. Thank you for agreeing to share an hour of your thoughts with me at what must be a pretty mad time. Hi, no, thank you so much for having me. It's, um, yeah, it's a real pleasure. So yeah, just to kick off, I know that you've recently started your maternity leave. I think it was, was it last week? Very beginning of this week, Monday, I sort of finally set my out of office and um yeah, so I am on maternity leave, which feels feels very surreal. Is the only way I can think to describe it, really, for for lots of reasons. I mean, obviously, it's something that I thought about a long time ago, and then it you know never materialised, and so then never never really 
let myself think about it again. Um, and now I've had to, it sort of suddenly crept up on me. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously being in lockdown and adds a, a new element to it. Um, you know, I haven't been able to see anyone for sort of send off drinks or whatever, really. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice feeling, actually. It's a nice feeling. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, it sounds like it must be surreal in, in many different ways and lots of different layers to that. I suppose I was going to ask you about the experience of being pregnant through lockdown, but just before that, how would you describe what you do and what your work has been like? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm a writer, I'm a, a journalist predominantly, and I write about, I write about health, um, especially women's health, whenever I get a chance. And I've, but I've done, I've done a few different jobs in journalism. So I've been, I've been on the other side. I've been a commissioning editor and um, a sub editor, and yeah, in mostly in, in newspapers. But now I write for newspapers, magazines, and I also run a, a blog um, about my, which is a, a personal blog about my own experiences of trying to conceive and recurrent miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Have you always written about? women's health or is it partly in response to what you've been through personally that you've kind of evolved your writing in that area I think I probably I think that's yeah that's probably um a good way of putting it I think it has evolved it's it's sort of two things really I I've always been interested in it um you know I would describe myself as a feminist and always would have done and so I think that that goes hand in hand but at the same time, um, I think I started kind of trying to do as much of that kind of writing as I could once I went freelance and which was sort of a, I was writing a blog at that time. And I it was part, you know, my decision to go freelance was partly because we were still trying to conceive. We were having this really horrible time. Um, and I just needed I was working for a newspaper which was was great in many ways and they, they'd actually been very very good to me in terms of you know everything that happened but just something about um being in an office and working very long London hours and a London commute wasn't working with um the sort of mundane things I guess that you feel you have to do if you're trying to conceive and it's not it's not workings whether that's um uh extra appointments and investigations and things like that it's just yeah I've, it wasn't working for me and um and I was ready for a change anyway and so I think while I do yeah that interest had always, had always been there and then I think because of the blog writing and um being able to make up my own work schedule a little bit I think the two did start to um come together a little bit more mm -hmm. and of course it's, it, it does sort of snowball because of, people know that um you know I've written about my own my own story um and I've shared other people's stories on the blog so I think it becomes something people know that if they're perhaps looking for somebody to be interviewed about a certain subject I might know somebody so you know editors mm -hmm. to me so it, it all kind of it builds um which is great because it means that a lot of the time I'm I'm doing work that doesn't really feel like work it just feels like something I'm really interested in and really passionate about yeah absolutely and 
yeah, I, I think it's amazing, you know, that the content and that the experiences that you do talk about in your writing and in your blog, as well as the the brilliant piece I read in the Guardian's long reads, which is is how I found out about you, in which you talk about your four miscarriages. And yeah, I just think it's it's really incredible that you're talking about the full spectrum of that experience because it, I think it is still shrouded in mystery is the wrong word, but there's there's so many you know layers of secrecy and oh, just just not talked about enough. I don't think in my experience anyway. So I don't know if that's something that did that motivate you to to write that piece and to to write your blog as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the blog kind of I'll talk about the blog first the blog kind of came about almost in a I didn't really know what to do with myself and what I was thinking and feeling and um and at first it was really just a, a almost like an anonymous online diary the first couple of posts I think you know I showed them to my husband um and we sort of talked about what I'd written in, in that sense and um yeah, and then it sort of evolved from there. Um, like, you know, as I think by the time we had our third miscarriage, I shared it a little bit more widely with with um, friends and family. But it, and then it was a little bit after that I put my kind of professional name to it, and it's sort of now it's kind of how many couple of years on, and um, you know, it's all tied in with my my work profile and everything. My name is on my social media things for it mm-hmm. um but and the yeah they definitely did come out of a place of I don't really understand what's happening here I don't understand why I don't know more about this why I wasn't more prepared um and that's speaking you know as somebody who whose friends had, lots of my friends had had babies I'd heard lots of labor stories um and, you know, the sort of unglamorous side of that, shall we say. Um, and I, and, I'm, and then on the other hand, I'm a, I'm a health writer. You know, there were, I felt fairly clued in on lots of, lots of subjects that hadn't happened to me directly. And I thought, I haven't got a clue about this. Certainly the first time it happened, I was so shocked by how little I knew and whether what I was feeling was normal, what was happening physically was normal, you know, even sort of where you turn up, you know, I was bleeding quite heavily the first time round, and I, it just, I didn't know even where to go, you know, was it appropriate to go to A&E, or it was a weekend, so I couldn't call my GP, it was, yeah, it was very, um, and I think all of those things, and then kind of the more you, you know, as things go on, the more you learn, uh, or the more things you confront in your um, experience of it, the more you realise that the information isn't really out there or it's out there, but in sort of secret corners of the internet and forums. I mean, there are women on forums and have been for, you know, decades now talking about this stuff intensely. Mm-hmm. And you think this isn't happening, it definitely isn't happening in the real world, as it were. Yeah, it it does seem like a very human experience that you know unfortunately happens to to many women but there's still a huge lack of information and I mean from my limited knowledge of it there's there still seems to be a 
a lack of medical information like medically about it as well about what medically happens and that yeah I can imagine that must just be very hard for women going through it because you want to know what's happened yes absolutely it's kind of the the first and sort of foremost question you have is is why why did this happen um not least because the the, the obvious worry is oh god I, I've you know I've done this. this is something I've done this is my fault um which is absolutely you know there and to be fair all doctors and everybody I've seen medically has always said very categorically it's nothing you did you know this is the what the phrase they always use is it's just one of those things mm. um, which is meant to be comforting and I suppose it, it you do need to hear it if you if you're unaware of that the first time it happens but at, at the same time it's um it's incredibly frustrating that sort of acceptance that it it just happens and we don't know why and that was really the um the jumping off point for the the piece I did for the for the Guardian because um because it was a longer a longer read a long form piece of journalism it was it was time to really get into okay why why don't we know these things and what's going on here and why do we just accept this and what's actually happening with the science and um, why haven't we made any more progress? I mean, they've been looking into, they've been looking into um, treatments for miscarriage for, you know, for most of the 20th century. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's not something that suddenly dawned on us 10 years ago, oh, actually, maybe we could treat miscarriages. I mean, miscarriages were talked about in medical medical books you know in the it was the sort of primary concern in pregnancy in the 15th 16th 17th century possibly even forever you know Mm -hmm. um and yet we understand incredibly little about it which is um it's very difficult I think yeah it seems like medical research hasn't moved on (laughs) it's certainly not in line with other areas of medical research and development and yeah that must be really frustrating would you be happy taking us back to the time I guess the time before you had your first miscarriage when you were trying to get pregnant for the first time and just what that time in your life was like and and what happened next yeah of course so I, I it's quite strange actually looking back because in lots of ways I feel like a completely different person so I'd, you know, I'd, I'd just got married. I'd been married about a year, maybe. Uh, and we were living living and working in London. And, you know, life was... We probably didn't appreciate it at the time, but life was very easy. And we decided we, we'd, you know, we'd been talking about having starting a family for, for a while, kind of before we were married and sort of talking about when it might be possible and... And we'd kind of reached a place where we thought, well, you know what, we're, we're living together, we're, we're married, we're, you know, we're happy where we are, we're, you know, all those things that you we both had um, jobs that meant we could take, you know, we'd get paid maternity and paternity leave and we thought about all those things and, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, things now that I think I can't believe we've spent so long agonising over. <laughs> yeah uh and it's yeah so we 
we started trying to conceive and it, I think it took about, it took longer than I'd thought. And I remember at the time I was so frustrated and um, dispro not disproportionately so I think now, because actually I really let it get to me and I didn't enjoy it particularly. I should have just, and I think part of that is because you don't, you don't really hear from people the sort of reality of normal trying to conceive. I mean, you know, you hear perhaps about people who, who go on to have IVF or who have longer difficulties. And I, you know, had a few friends who had told me, you know, over a glass of wine, oh God, he just looked at me and I got pregnant. Um, yeah. You know, you hear I, that's, that a few friends have told me that it was literally like the first cycle they started trying or, you know, they'd only just come off the pill or whatever it is. And I thought, okay. And yet for us, it took about 10 months and I was really starting to think that there was something potentially wrong and I was very impatient and um, all around me, you know, friends were having, were getting pregnant or having their second babies already. And I, yeah, I think looking back, I put myself through a lot of, under a lot of pressure and I, there was a lot of stress around it. Um, and it just never occurred to me at that time that, that that wouldn't be that getting pregnant wouldn't be the end of it if that makes sense I I just it, it was going to be it it never occurred to me that it wouldn't work out it was always I just need to get pregnant and then that's it the next part of my life will begin will be mm -hmm. way um and it it's quite strange looking back now and it was you know when we were in the thick of um, we had three miscarriages in a year oh. um, or, well actually within sort of nine months and nine ten months and I yeah the thought how I felt then to how I felt before and who I felt I was and it was it was quite a stark contrast I would say and I really didn't appreciate that I mean You'd never want to tell somebody this is what's in your future. <laughs> no. Yeah, I mean, was it hard to talk to other people at that time in terms of close friends and family about what you were going through? Um, yeah, there were a few things that I did and I it was it was incredibly difficult. And I I mean, in a way, there were some times in the build up to our first pregnancy that I that I felt loneliest because in a way I didn't Feel, for some reason I didn't feel I could tell anybody that we were trying to conceive I now I would be a lot you know I, I'm much more open about these things as I've written about as I've written about our experiences but I and so that was very difficult and then actually for that first pregnancy a very sustaining thought was after that 12-week scan I'm going to be able to tell everybody I can talk about it, you know, I'll be able to, I, I don't know why there was that barrier of, I couldn't tell even my closest friends, you know, mm. um, that we've been trying to conceive and that I was, had been really worried that something was wrong and all, all those sort of emotions that swirl around. And so that had all been, I guess, pent up for quite a long time. By the time, by the time I had um, the first miscarriage, it probably been, a, that was, would have been over a year really of that being the, the key thing that was happening in our lives and of course no one really knew that I hadn't even really discussed it with my mum 
Um, mm-hmm. And then um, the, the miscarriage happened and it was, it was quite a shock really. It was, um, of all of the, the four that we've had, that was the, the, I was the furthest along. It was a few days before we should have had our 12 week dating scan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came on quite suddenly and I had to go to A&E and, um, and yes. And then it was, there was that complete, as well as sort of all the, the feelings you're thinking, you know, the, dis- the disappointment and the, the grief that, you know, this child that you'd imagined having. Mm. Um, and all those sort of plans and how you thought your, because, you know, your life takes on a very, when you, when you find out you're pregnant, your life takes on a very um, sort of, you, the plan falls into place very quickly. You know, you, you know that X month in the future, you're likely to be going into labor. And then the, you know, the next year of your life is to a certain extent going to be dictated or you hope dictated by um, raising a baby. And so, you know, suddenly everything had, all of that had fallen away, all of that sort of scaffolding to how we thought our lives would be. Mm. Um, And yet I didn't know how to, you know, you, you're just kind of, I was shocked and sort of wandering around in a bit of a haze, really. And you don't know how to express any of that to the people around you. I, you know, we, I did in the, we did tell, I told my mum as it was happening. Because mm. um, she, she knew I was pregnant by that point. But we, very few other people knew. I don't even think we told my in-laws that I was pregnant but when I had miscarriage, you know, we we sort of had this idea of when we would tell them and coinciding with a significant birthday and things like that. And then that, that birthday rolled round and that was very difficult. Um, because it's, it's very hard, I think, fundamentally, it's very hard to tell people who don't know what you're going through in terms mm-hmm. of, they don't know you're pregnant. It's very hard to then announce that and roll it back at the same time. I think that's fundamentally why because it's yeah I as well as all the things you're going through yourself that you don't really understand and that you you feel um yeah so sort of buried in the in your grief mm-hmm. yeah and it's a very unique type of grief isn't it and like you say I think a, a lot of people who haven't been through that probably won't understand that you know, it's it's not just the the period of the the pregnancy that you know you've been you've been building these hopes and expectations. It's the full ten months before and even before that, perhaps that you've been trying for this baby. Yeah, definitely. And for you know, for because it's not um, it's a it's a funny one with miscarriage because it is a word I think you know it's often described as a taboo and there is definitely that element to it but it is also a word that most people know about you know it's not it's not kind of you tell people oh I had a miscarriage and they go oh what's that um but I do think there's this big gap between knowing that miscarriages happen and knowing how that actually feels and what it involves and the sort of emotional process um and I think a big another another aspect of what makes it very difficult to talk about is that 
because it's you you learn that it's really common mm-hmm. and this is sort of drummed into you in a very well-meaning way by doctors or or midwives or whoever you happen to see or if you you know if you google it it's almost one of the first things you'll read is miscarriages are sadly very common um and you think oh okay um am I making a big fuss about nothing then? Should I have expected this? Or, you know. um, Mm -hmm. And that I think is quite hard to deal with because you, I mean, everybody feels slightly different, I guess, but certainly in my experience, I felt um, I was completely shocked that it had happened, that it could happen. And sort of by the sort of depth of feeling. And at the same time, I thought, I don't know how to tell people this because it would have been, it would have been so painful to have been told, yeah, I know it it happens. It's not a big deal. Like that just, I mean, no one's going to respond quite like that. But, you know, if if I'd read that sort of subtext into something someone had said, Mm. I would have felt so, I think you just feel quite like, almost pathetic and yeah yeah it sounds like you know you you feel almost you know pressured into being more silent because of the fear of people's reactions and how that will feel I think because people tell you that it's really common I think the implication is something that's really common um is therefore not particularly important or um shouldn't take you very long to get over or Mm-hmm. Um, and actually there's I, I do know why they tell you this I think they tell you it's really common because they're trying to reassure you that you know this doesn't mean you won't be able to have a baby but it does also have that that unintended consequence of making you feel like you're not handling it properly or that your reaction is over the top or mm, yeah um and I but actually, I mean, if you stop and think about it, being told that something is common and therefore we should just accept it and get on with it is, is completely... I mean, think of... There, there are so many things in life that are incredibly common. Grief in all its forms is incredibly common. Um, cancer in all its forms is incredibly common. And, you know, we don't go around going, oh, yeah, that's really common. No. Or my grandpa's died. Oh, yeah, that's really common. <laughs> I know that's a really good point if you've lost someone close to you and you know that does happen all the time all over the world obviously but it doesn't diminish you know how tough that grief is for an individual. No exactly and that's not to say that there's you know an equivalence between those examples that I've just given necessarily it's just more that that does see I think it's that sense of someone says oh it's really common or oh yeah it happened to my auntie or um or my friend or yo oh, yeah or it happens to one in four women or whatever it, however people respond to it I think it does have that effect sometimes of giving the impression that that's the end of the conversation mm-hmm. that that's it like you, you're told this and you'll feel better it's like oh it's really common off you go I think that's the the problem with it I think yeah and I guess maybe that comes down to people just not knowing what to say and and maybe closing down a conversation because they feel awkward. And it's just kind of a perpetuating cycle in a way, isn't it? That then that makes you feel like you can't talk about the reality and the detail of that experience for you because other people feel awkward about it. Yes, 
yeah I think that's true I think um because it is a risk and I still feel this now actually even though I've, I've talked about it a lot more and I've written about you know I've, I've written about it and I I find it much easier to write about I guess because you're you're putting it out there and people can read it and hopefully go away and, and understand and take what they can from it but whereas if you have a conversation you're very you're exposed to somebody's immediate reaction yeah and after after our third miscarriage I did have some therapy which was very helpful so you know <laughs> I've done my done my the groundwork as it were and even still if you you mentioned to somebody so in this pregnancy it's come up a couple of times with people that we didn't know before and I've mentioned that we our history and you do have that sort of heart and mouth moment of what are they going to say are they never going to speak to me again or you know particularly with this was a particular problem with sort of other pregnant women that I meet because that's quite a difficult thing to you know if you meet at a pregnancy yoga class or something and mm-hmm. um you're sort of chatting about have you got this that this yet or that yet and I was always one saying oh no we've not got we've not bought anything yet and not really explaining why and then eventually I did tell a couple of sort of new friends that I'd made that oh, this you know we're just very cautious and this is why and it still <laughs> felt very I felt a is that fair to you know bring up a kind of um sort of like can you can you mention the word miscarriage to to pregnant women is that very cool um and then also yeah you just don't know they might they might not get it they might think what's the big deal and then that would be well it's like anything it's just socially awkward isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah totally yeah, that's tough. And even though, you know, every pregnant woman will know about miscarriage. I mean, personally, I think people know about it. And, you know, whether or not you know someone who's been through it, or you're having a conversation with someone who's been through it, it doesn't, it's the same as knowing it happens in some way. So it it doesn't, for me, it wouldn't, it wouldn't scare me to have that conversation. And I wouldn't want anyone who's been through it to think they can't talk about it. And that's, you know, I suppose that's the situation we all want to get to by being more open about these issues as people do feel more comfortable on both sides. Yeah, I, I think it would be, and I think it is getting, it is getting better. I don't know whether that's just because I'm now much more plugged into conversations that are happening around pregnancy loss. So it's not just, you know, not just miscarriage, but stillbirth and um termination for medical reasons and other ectopic pregnancy infertility I think in the last sort of few years I think there has been a real shift um and I think there is you know there's that growing interest in the sort of politics of it I guess you know um because there's at the same time there's been a movement to why don't we talk about periods you know why periods such a taboo this thing that happens to you know almost every woman Um, and so I think that's helped a little bit I think that's that shift of um I think you call it a political shift um and so there are conversations happening and I've noticed noticed more articles and conversations springing up again I don't know whether that's because I um I I'm on the lookout for them I guess if I see that word it, it obviously um gets my attention but I it like maybe to other people it passes them by as kind of impossible for me to know 
Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether, you know, the four or five years ago, the same conversations could be happening that, you know, I think I'm seeing now and they would have just bypassed me completely. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but, it's positive. You're seeing a shift. That's that's encouraging. Yeah, I hope so. I And I hope it is. But then on the other hand, I do see and I see it um, now that I've been running my blog for a few years. It's interesting seeing the evolution the sort of the people that I find or who find me through it because obviously at the beginning yeah I mean it had a very small small readership but you know they tended to be people who were on the exact same sort of timeline as me they just had their you know first or second miscarriage maybe and then um and actually a lot of those kind of early readers and people who I'd message and who'd message me have gone on to have children um and yet sort of new, there are new people coming in and I get messages every now and again from people saying, I, you know, I've just had my first miscarriage and I had no idea. Um, and, you know, it is all new. It is all new to them. And I, it's obviously very different when it's actually happening to you. Of course it is. But so I, that, on the other hand, makes me think, well, maybe this sort of increase, what I perceive as a kind of increasingly loud conversation around um this kind of aspect of women's health and actually perhaps it's not as far reaching as I think it is Mm -hmm. so I I've probably I've contradicted myself enormously there but I it it, it, it's hard to judge I guess yeah I guess when you're working you know so deep within this issue then you you might be seeing a picture that's not particularly reflective of the the general population because you're talking to lots of people who you know potentially already have lots of awareness about it Mm, yeah I think I mean that's it exactly and it has been quite interesting actually in I think I posted about this the other day it has been quite interesting seeing things that have cropped up specifically in lockdown and actually there have been a few points where I thought you know they were quite late to some of the guidance was quite late to include miscarriage in their, you know, in their sort of FAQs to do with COVID-19 and whether you'd be, what treatment would be available and it, which as a sort of aspect of pregnancy care that needed, it, I don't know, I, it seemed like a, a fairly big oversight to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the kind of things that people are, are being told, you know, I've had people say, oh, well, you know, you wouldn't want to be pregnant now anyway. And, um yeah or people who I've heard from people who've had miscarriages during the lockdown period and have been so well you know it's probably for the best yeah those are sorts of attitudes that I think have always been there and I mean I've, I've always been quite lucky in that friends and family have been very understanding and very kind um I don't think we've had any complete shockers um apart from the odd sort of <laughs> clumsily formed question of well you know do they, do they know what's wrong with you kind of thing mm-hmm. um but those sort of questions that do questions or responses that come up to catch so you know it wasn't really a baby yet or um it's probably for the best like that those things do exist and actually it's been interesting to see how they've taken a kind of new new form during lockdown yeah uh, from what I'm, what I'm hearing from people anyway yeah it's kind of shape-shifting 
Yes, exactly. And I, I, it's all coming from a place, like all those things people try and say, it's not coming from a malicious place. It's coming from a place of trying to make people feel better and kind of look on the bright side and all that. But it, it just doesn't really work. And I, um, you know, as somebody who is and has been pregnant throughout lockdown, I, there's no, you wouldn't want it any other way. Like, okay, it's not what you'd imagined. And yes, it's been, there have been scary moments, um, particularly at the beginning when there was so much uncertainty. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's still uncertainty and going into hospital is very strange right now. Yeah. Um, but you still, it's not, it's not even a, doesn't enter your mind that you would rather you you would rather not be pregnant like that's just not how I don't think that's how anyone thinks about it I just don't think that's um sort of realistic psychology really no not at all no I mean yeah I mean obviously as you've said speaking up about multiple miscarriages is difficult very difficult mm. um in terms of triggering that I guess fear and discomfort in others but for you I mean it's obviously far from you know an expected situation having four miscarriages but you know for you what would have helped in terms of other people's words and reactions when it came to your miscarriages is there anything that you have you know really thought about that would have been helpful for others to say and do I think it all comes down to a sense of I don't think there's much understanding that actually this is something that happened, although it's not, although medically it's not classed as common. If you, when recurrent miscarriage affects one in one in 100 couples, I think they estimate, which medically they sort of always, you know, it's not that that's relatively rare. Yeah. So medically it's, it's relatively rare, but at the same time, I think, there's this like lot it does still happen to lots of people I mean if you think of how one in 100 and you think of how many people actually have babies each year Mm -hmm. that's still a relatively you probably know a few people you know who have had multiple miscarriages it's not sort of it's not like there'll be four people in the country who this affects Mm. um and I think what there isn't a particularly um broad understanding of is that actually it happens to lots of people for various reasons that they may or may not be able to work out but actually lots of people go on to have children I think there's this idea that if you're having more than one miscarriage that there's something that perhaps you're a lost cause I think that's that's not obviously no one will say that to you that's Mm. like I think that's an impression that builds sometimes I think that it's somehow a a sign that there's you know nothing can be done and you know perhaps you perhaps you're not meant to have a family I think there's that impression I mean no again no one has ever said that to me yeah um and I think the other thing I think is that it's not very well understood outside of um fertility problems in general I think you know, I've had a, what I have had people ask me is, oh, have you considered IVF? And you think, well, IVF is about, um, is about helping you conceive. Mm. Actually, this is a separate, you know, conceiving isn't, isn't 
part of our problem. I mean, in, in fact, there is a theory that for some women, not all, but for some, um, part of the reason they have multiple miscarriages is because they conceive relatively easily, um, but there's something happening with the, the cells and the lining of their womb, this sort of biosensor cells that yeah. are to detect the quality of the fertilised egg. And in mm -hmm. lots of, they know that in lots of women, an egg is fertilised each month, but it doesn't implant. Um, and so, although strictly speaking, you might count that fertilised egg as a pregnancy, it, it, it's, it doesn't... Um, it doesn't progress it's, you know you have your period as normal mm -hmm. um, is that what chemical pregnancy is or is that different I don't know I don't know that I I think that there's probably a gray area there with chemical pregnancy I thought chemical pregnancy is where um, and obviously I'm not, I'm not a doctor <laughs> <laughs> I'd hate to give someone the wrong answer I I think chemical pregnancy just gets used for a kind of a very early miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because um, the tests and things we have now are more sensitive. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know whether the fertilised egg that doesn't implant would cause, would ever be detectable on a pregnancy test, if that makes sense. I know they can, they can detect it in a, like in a lab setting. Yeah um which is how they know it but I I don't know um but yeah so there's so there is this idea that for some women who have recurrent miscarriages they're kind of um their body is accepting um these embryos in effect that would just never make it that you know there's some sort of fundamentally well you know a chromosomal error that is would never they want the, the pregnancy will never survive Mm. where their body should recognize it it doesn't um and that results in a miscarriage you know however many weeks down the line um which i mean maybe it's only interesting to me i don't know it's such i, I remember when i found out about this kind of area of research for the first time and i found it um a i found it quite comforting to know that you know this wasn't like it's almost the opposite of your body rejecting a pregnancy mm. because everybody there's like there's this impression that if you're having miscarriages it's because there's something wrong or sort of inhospitable about your body um that you're somehow hostile or not maternal or unwomanly or all those sort of quite primal <laughs> um fears and insecurities that you might have I guess Mm. Um, and I've interviewed a few researchers about it over the, the years and actually they sort of said it's, it's if you think about it it's the opposite in a way if you're having that kind of miscarriage it's it's because your body is if anything it's too maternal it's too accepting it, it's it's kind of taking in these embryos that it that it shouldn't um, and there's something about that that I found I mean, it doesn't help with the fundamentals and that they don't know how to they don't know how to solve this problem. But it does at least counter that narrative of um, your body is your body can't um, 
can't sustain a pregnancy your body is pregnancy incompatible it's, it's kind of something that's it's slightly different from that mm-hmm. yeah wow it's really educational for me <laughs> thank you for sharing all of this oh, knowledge because well, <laughs> <laughs> how did you begin to accept or find peace with the reality of having had four miscarriages and do you think that is a possible thing to accept over time and then what was the process of deciding to try for your fifth pregnancy like mentally and emotionally yeah I think I am very um anti the idea that sometimes gets kind of offered up to you I'm very anti the idea of you know everything happens for a reason that's just me that's you know I know some for some people that's a very helpful thought but I do having said so so yeah I I think sometimes perhaps if you know if you have a miscarriage or two miscarriages I say oh it wasn't meant to be or everything happens for a reason and if you think if you then go on to have to get pregnant again and you have your baby I think then that's quite hard to quite hard to I think then see oh well there was this was always the right path sort of thing Mm. because otherwise sorry that probably doesn't make any sense at all I think um I think what I'm trying to say is I I think it is possible to make your peace with it I do Mm. but I also think that's not quite the same as being grateful that it happened at all or thinking that it was in some way the right thing to happen because yeah. I, I don't think that and for some for some people they will have one they will have a miscarriage or two miscarriages in quite close succession they'll get pregnant again and have their baby a baby that would never have existed if they hadn't you know they wouldn't have been able to have both children at the same time and that I think is quite a that sort of the mental gymnastics of that I think are quite complicated so yeah. I can see why you might think well this is you know this is the baby we were meant to have and that's I think a very understandable way of thinking about it whereas for us we're in a slightly different position in that I think because of the timings of everything this pregnancy now could still have happened if i that first pregnancy had, or any of those pregnancies, the first three, I think that's right. My mass isn't, mass isn't my strong suit. (laughs) Mine neither. (laughs) I think that thought has occurred to me before that actually it's logistically possible that this could have been our, our second child, if that makes sense. Yeah. That then... But you don't have that comfort in a way of like, well, this is just always meant to be. Um, But in terms of making your peace with it, I think at the moment you feel like you will never make your peace with it. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. I think the things... So between um, this pregnancy and our fourth pregnancy, we took a break of about a year. And we didn't try to conceive, we didn't, you know, we, we deliberately didn't. And we sort of had a year where we were exhausted. We needed to just concentrate on other things, I think, in life without that sort of constant um, question at the back of your mind when you're making plans and um, whether that's kind of career plans or travel plans or whatever it is, just, you know, casual Friday night plans with friends without that question of 
um, or what if what if I'm pregnant or will that be the second half of my cycle should I not be drinking or you know mm. is it a good idea to sign up for a, a charity 10k you know can I really commit to training to that if we're trying to have a baby so all like all those mm. some people are brilliant about not just not thinking about that they just kind of can do two simultaneously but I I'm not that kind of person mm. I found that for so long I mean by that point it'd been two two maybe nearly three years of um trying to have a baby and recovering from you know and being pregnant and recovering from miscarriages had been the sort of focus for for several years and and it's it does it just is exhausting I guess oh, all consuming yeah <laughs> yeah exactly all consuming is 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 the word and it so we had that year I'd I'd had some therapy for kind of a period of I think it came after we'd had some tests. We had some investigations after the third miscarriage on the NHS and they didn't find anything. And I found in a way, although that is a good, that is medically, that's the good thing. You want to be told there isn't anything wrong here. There's no mm. reason you can't sustain a pregnancy. And actually, you know, it doesn't seem to affect your odds either way, but at the same time, I think by that point I, I was so convinced that we were going to be told you have a blood clotting disorder or we found this and we can give you you know because people try and tell you those stories a lot oh you know I know somebody who had four miscarriages and then they their doctor gave them aspirin and they were fine they had twins or you know mm. <laughs> lovely meant to comfort you stories and so I was really I think I'd really bought into that by that point and so when they turned around and said nothing wrong there's no reason off you go try again I think I found that incredibly difficult yeah you almost want something to be able to work on medically yeah which you almost feel bad about because of course if you actually stop and think about what you're what it is you want you're, you're wanting to be told that you have some sort of medical problem which is is sort of perverse I guess and actually you don't really want that but what you want is a what you want is a solution or sort of something to try differently next time you don't of course you don't want there to be something wrong with your body mm -hmm. uh, and actually it's 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 such a privilege to be healthy <laughs> but at the same time you do just want something that you can pin your hopes to I think mm -hmm. yeah because you don't want to go through this you know such a painful experience yet again well yeah exactly and you it's it becomes very hard to to buy into that idea that it even could be different next time you, you sort of think but, but how you mm. because they can't tell you anything because they can't say well actually maybe don't try doing this or you know maybe don't do this next time or do, do you know th there's none of that so you I mean you kind of make up your own versions of that whether it's you know I've, I've done all sorts of things I stopped running and done more yoga and um y you know you can fall down a real rabbit hole of online recommendations sort of don't wear nail varnish or perfumes because they contain <sighs> chemicals that will affect your egg quality or whatever it is I don't that's probably not true that that's you know yeah don't quote me on that that's not a thing <laughs> that's just something that I know at some point I at one point I wasn't doing any of that stuff you know there was no no nail varnish no perfume no heating things in plastic yeah uh, trying to cut down on gluten and then it's like oh and what about is there a connection with dairy you know you anything any kind of 
whisper of a theory and you think well it's you know what else can I try mm. yeah that, that is exhausting <laughs> yeah that adds to that sort of exhaustion as well I think and so um but as well I did I did do some therapy after that time because I think that was a real emotionally that was a real low that idea of because it just I think it just felt very hopeless and then you know and that's this sort of can be a sort of downward slide that kind of hopelessness um so I, you know it's not that's not a quick fix by any means but I did find that really helpful and I I went to speak to a psychologist and um and that was not something I'd done before but I I mean it was incredibly helpful I mean and now I would <laughs> I would say we should probably all go we should all see a psychologist in the same way that we all see a dentist I yeah. think I you know I, if I could afford it I would I would probably st- go once a month sort of thing but um so that was very helpful and it is worth saying that there are there are I I paid to see somebody just for kind of convenience and for speed um but there are lots of there are services out there so um there's a a charity called Petals which do specific counselling for pregnancy loss um whether that's miscarriage or later loss Mm -hmm. and I think I don't know they operate in a few areas of the country and they they do free counselling sessions specifically or in this area. So, but yeah. sorry, you were asking about, so that helped. That was definitely, and I, you know, I, I can't, I would never downplay how important that was because I think sometimes, you know, you find when you sort of stumble across people online talking about how they dealt with a difficult thing and it's, it can sometimes feel a bit like, oh, you know, I just thought I just put on a positive mindset and, uh ate the right things and I magically I felt better and it was you know it's not that it wasn't that simple for me Mm. Um, yeah um so that I think and then that in combination with taking what was really quite a long time off and just focusing on other things which is easier said than done particularly if you worry that time is running out Oh, yeah there's always that added pressure isn't there which is a real added pressure and you know it some people will will feel that they don't have the the luxury of taking six months a year off um and I really went back and forth on it and sometimes I did wonder if we were doing the right thing but in hindsight I think it was it was the right thing for us and actually it's just a sort of it's just that element of unwinding a little bit and just finding things that you enjoy in in life that you perhaps put to one side because they weren't compatible with trying to have a baby or you know you just haven't paid them enough attention and actually that was it, it was just a very um powerful thing I think actually in that year that we took off we made lots of decisions I'd gone freelance we decided we were going to move away from London um we went on you know we went on a big trip that we'd been putting off for a long time and yeah I don't know it was just focusing on all those things in our life that were 
nothing to do with having a baby and that would be there even if we didn't have a baby and actually that felt although it didn't completely take away the worry and the sadness that it might not happen for us mm-hmm. it did it was almost like proving to ourselves that actually life was going to be okay and I think actually yeah for the first time I think that year it was like I could see that if um if it never happened for us and we talked about a few things you know we started talking about adoption um but it's yeah I think being able to see that and that takes time I think and you know there's no way if you're in the immediate days after a miscarriage that's not a helpful thing to say to somebody no oh well you know what you'll be happy even if you don't have children like that would never I would never ever say that to people you have you know but Mm. we did find a way we did reach that point I think yeah Um, and it's you know it's all a it's a it's all quite changeable I mean it's easy to say for that sort of period of time I felt that way and it's easy to say that now when I'm I'm pregnant and I'm further along than I've ever been um but it might be you know if this pregnancy hadn't worked out I might have felt very different you know all that that I don't know whether that um uh some of that would have been undone a little um yeah yeah it's a sliding door scenario isn't it you can never tell how you will feel if something hadn't gone the same way yeah exactly um but I I do think and you know there are there are um positive things that that come out of it in that whether it's sort of you find um people who have been through similar and that you know you, you there's a you form a bond with them that you otherwise wouldn't have and I've found you know through um social media and some sort of things I've done with the blog and fundraising I've made you know new friendships and yeah so there it's there mm-hmm. it's not like a, a kind of story of unrelenting <laughs> misery which I think possibly people think it might be if you think oh if you hear about multiple miscarriages you think oh god how bleak yeah 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 I think um it, for people that have been through something you know intensely painful and are going through grief it you know one of the like you said before you would never say this was meant to happen or you would want it to happen or it was a good thing it happened but you know it can help you form stronger connections with people I think and certainly my own experience of of losing my mother and knowing other people that have lost people, you feel more connected to those people. And I think, you know, that is is a really powerful thing and something that stays with you for life. I think so. And and it really makes you appreciate, actually, it kind of shows you who who your your friends are and kind of... There's a lot of sort of stuff that goes on, I think, with... um, yeah who your real friends are and kind of what's important and all that sort of priority shifting and um and I think so I definitely a much more open person now than I was Mm -hmm. five years ago I don't know whether that's something that might have happened with age anyway but I yeah and I that's a that's a it's not 
I mean, you would never, again, you would never offer that to somebody as consolation. You think, well, well I don't care about that. Um, mm-hmm. I just want, I want to have a baby. Being able to, yeah, to be a bit more honest about things not being, you know, particularly because we live in a sort of time that's very, um, I mean, it's actually, lockdown's been quite interesting for that, but because of the kind of conversations we've been having, but we do live in this time of kind of heightened everything's amazing kind of glamorous social media pages and it can be quite hard I think and I certainly found this you know when I was younger being able to admit that things aren't brilliant and that you're perhaps not very happy in a kind of low-key sort of way Mm. even with your friends I think being able to step back from that a little bit and just be a bit more like yeah this is this really terrible thing happened or um I'm struggling with this or I don't want to do this because it's difficult or it brings this up or and then and you know the flip side of that is being able to understand that for other people I think that's a um I think that's quite a powerful antidote to lots of things that we're told matter does yeah. that make any sort of sense at all no it does it makes perfect sense I was interested in asking you about what happened at the start of this pregnancy because because I read about your experience of going on progesterone and then then you did have a scare with bleeding didn't you so would you be happy sharing just what happened with that yeah so it was um so we'd found out I was I knew I was pregnant again um and because of so because I'd had been investigated um for sort of any possible causes of miscarriage um at a NHS specialist clinic in London, which is really lucky because not everybody gets that. Um, and then once, although they didn't find anything that they could treat at that point, they then see you um, the next time you're pregnant. And they they kind of offer weekly or fortnightly scans if you'd like them. Um, and they just generally keep an eye. They repeat some blood tests and just check that, you know, whatever they can check, they will. Um, so we knew that was going to happen again. It happened. We'd, we'd done, gone through that in our fourth pregnancy, and unfortunately, it hadn't made a hadn't made a difference. That sort of extra monitoring, mm-hmm. um, and then in the this time round, so it was a sort of the same same thing again. And they kind of get you in for a, a very early appointment. I think about sort of six seven weeks, and I'd kind of known at the back of my mind in between this pregnancy and our last pregnancy, there'd been a fairly large bit of research had come out and it found that progesterone for women who've had previous miscarriages who were bleeding again in pregnancy, that it could, it seemed to reduce the risk of another miscarriage and it increased the live birth rate. I can't remember the exact statistics, but it was quite Although that was quite a small group within the study, the, the kind of the increase in live births was quite dramatic mm-hmm. to my kind of layperson <laughs> um, eye. So I knew about this, and I'd sort of been, and actually I'd had I had had a couple of messages from people saying, I don't know if this is helpful, but this is what I did last time, and you know a couple of people had said they'd asked for private prescriptions of progesterone. So although um, you know, I don't think they, they actually do tests on hormone levels. I don't think it's quite as straightforward as if you have low progesterone, you should take more of it or that low progesterone is causing the miscarriages. I think it has a slightly more complex 
mechanism. Mm -hmm. But so I, I'd already made up my mind even before I was pregnant that this is something to try because it was, you know, there was a reasonable amount of evidence for it now. Um, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem to be, it's not particularly invasive. It's not, wasn't, if we paid for it privately, it wasn't going to be hugely expensive. And it, it just seemed like a good, it would give us something to hang our hopes on, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wasn't completely sure whether the clinic would offer it to us. Um, because they, you know, it's the NHS, they have to be, the, the sort of evidence base for anything they do has to be so, um, so kind of unimpeachable that this was still relatively new and, you know. Um, but I asked them about it at our first appointment and actually for the first time they they didn't really, you know, normally they'd, they'd sort of say, well, you know, there's no suggestion that this is a problem for you. We don't think there's really a need. And that was sort of the answer that I'd had for other things I'd asked about before on a sort of, is it worth trying this just in case kind of basis. Mm -hmm. um, but this time around, they were like, sure. Yeah, that sounds OK. Why not? Um, I, you know, we talked about the specific trial. I went in armed with <laughs> the sats and the name of the trial. And, you know, I was <laughs> wasn't... Um, wasn't really prepared to take no for an answer and actually if they did say no then I was probably going to go and ask for a, a find a, a fertility clinic that would possibly prescribe it privately mm -hmm. um, but they would no they were very um open to the idea they were familiar with the trial um and at that point there was no sign that there was anything wrong it wasn't although I wasn't bleeding I wasn't bleeding at that point um they gave me the prescription um and then yeah but it was about a week later which happened to coincide with almost to the day when the previous three miscarriages had, had happened I started bleeding not lots but it you know that it was very how it looked was very similar to how the previous three miscarriages had, had looked when they started mm. um and I, I mean, obviously you, you kind of try to, to hope that, that it's not, it's not what you think, that there's still always, you know, a chance, but I did just think, oh, well, that's it then, really. I think, although I'd sort of looked it up and I did, I did Google it and found out that a side effect that nobody had told me about of progesterone <laughs> does seem to be that it can cause some light sort of um, spotting type bleeding. Mm. Not, it's, it's not to do with what's happening actually in the room. I think it's to do with it. Again, I'm not a doctor, so <laughs> I don't want to yeah. But I think my understanding is it's to do with it. It, it just irritates the cervix. Yeah. Um, the, the drug, the pessary. So I kind of read that and had that as a like, a tiny a, a glimmer of maybe it's this but I also think I think anybody who's had a miscarriage has probably done or thought they're having a miscarriage has probably done that google search and for whatever it is you know whether they've been told that the 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 
pregnancy is too, although it's, it's still ongoing, pregnancy is too small for the, the dates or whether they're, you know, they're just bleeding. And I think you do do that Google search and look for anything, any kind of glimmer of, you know, there's somebody who says I bled constantly for my whole pregnancy and now my baby is, you know, now my beautiful boy is, you know, there are those stories mm. forums and you just, you, you will Google and Google until you find them. And I know that I'd done that before. Yeah. And had miscarried. And so I, I sort of, although it does give you a, a sense of hope, I think you also know that that's, it's no guarantee. Um, mm. And that was, I mean, that was a really, there was a real low, low point, I think. I, because I kind of, you know, by that point that there's, you know, there's nothing you can do. Like in previous, in previous occasions, I'd have been straight on the phone to somebody saying, this is happening, what should I do? And I kind of thought, by this point, I knew if I was going to miscarry, it was going to happen. There's no, you know, you can't stop it at that point. Mm, yeah. Um. And I just think you, yeah, and there's that sort of, I suppose you just kind of go into, you really sort of retreat into your own. There's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. You try not to think about it, although you're thinking about it all the time. You just sort of don't engage almost. You don't think about um, what might have to happen or the fact that this is happening again. You just sort of go into a, a bit of a trance really and it was I think it was a we had about a week of that before we had to go back for our next scan at the mm-hmm. clinic and it was right in the middle of we were trying to move house just to add to the god <laughs> we were due, we were due to move house I think we had the appointment booked and we we're due to move house two days later and that you know the negotiations around that have been going on for sort of the past few weeks anyway and so that was like not what you want although I suppose it was a distraction and something else to be stressed about um but yeah we had this appointment booked and I think we we basically resigned ourselves to what was going to happen and so we were sort of talking about well you know what we're moving fresh start we've been through this before we can we know we at least we know what's coming we've got through it before we'll get through it again it was all that was very much the sort of tone of conversation in our house mm-hmm. for about a week um and then we went to the appointment and um they I, they they scanned me again and I was I was just waiting for them to say that there's no heartbeat I was I told them I said I'd had this bleeding and they were really good because sometimes, you know, they scan you and then they take a little while measuring things. And I thought, no, I need to know straight away. I just, mm-hmm. you know, because it's those sort of two seconds where they're, they're just kind of having a look around and feel like they go on forever. Um, they're very good. And they said straight away, um, there's, your, there's your baby. It's, it's moving. Can you see it moving around? And she was turning the screen around to me. And it was just... I mean, I cried instantly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was in floods of tears and my my, uh, my husband was there and my mum. And there's just something very, it was that very strange thing of 
the exact opposite of what you were expecting to happen happening yeah it's a shock <laughs> such a shock after everything you've been through and I can't can't imagine what it must have been like in the scans after as well you know since then up until now seeing your baby yeah I mean it's we've had lots of scans more than most people would have and to be honest the later scans have been a little bit easier because I mean you're obviously still always worried but I there is a um I can feel them moving now and so actually you know sometimes we've gone in for a scan and I've been sat in the waiting room and I can feel them moving around and kicking and so that's sort of an element of the the fear which is always a sort of um of being told the sort of of being told there is no heartbeat that's the sort of the words they always use Mm -hmm. so an element of that is is taken away but for the first sort of until about 20 weeks there was always that um build up I guess you know you don't take anything for granted Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I think that's something that perhaps people don't always appreciate I think there's this idea that once you've got beyond where you miscarried before that that's it your 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 brain will go oh right well this is okay then yeah um and it's not really it doesn't doesn't quite the switch doesn't for me maybe for some people that's the case but for me that switch has never quite flipped um Mm -hmm. yeah do you feel like there's always an underlying fear and how do you feel now how do you feel today I suppose about (laughs) the next phase and what comes next oh my god so we're yeah we're about four weeks off my due date now um which again like maternity leave just feels incredibly surreal I you kind of never really let yourself imagine how it will be or what you'll do or how things will go Mm. in that sort of self-protective way um and I do it it comes and goes like sometimes I feel much more confident than I have at any point in the pregnancy um you know, I'm undeniably pregnant now. <laughs> like, yeah. there for all the world to see. Um, and I can feel them moving. And, you know, we have had to, um, partly be, partly because of lockdown, because we have got a lot more stuff than I think we might have done. Because, you know, you have to negotiate all that. Like, when do you feel comfortable buying things and, um, you know, having a pram in the house or you know a a sort of stash of baby grows and things and um I think before everything that's happened this year with with um coronavirus and lockdown I think we probably would have bought the very very bare minimum and had a sort of shopping list waiting to go you know wait an online order waiting to be picked up or something or you know we'd have just gone to the shop sent I'd have sent Dan to (laughs) buy everything in one go Mm -hmm. um from a department store kind of thing once we knew um we would actually get to bring a baby home um but then it was like shops aren't going to be open (laughs) um yeah and everything suddenly felt a lot less so we have you know it's been but it's been a it's been a positive thing I think yeah yeah sort of yourself into um allowing that possibility that it might actually happen this time Mm -hmm. um it's been quite nice yeah 
exactly and trying to I mean it, it's difficult to feel like complete unbridled excitement but mm-hmm. in trying to find those little moments of um so after our 20 we had a scan at 24 weeks and after that scan we went and bought something for the first time we went and bought um some that was just before it was I think a week before lockdown um and we went and bought a baby grow uh, and it was the first thing we bought and that felt it felt like a big step but it also felt sort of nice like a kind of just a nice sorry nice is such an underwhelming word <laughs> for what I'm trying to describe um, but it was it just felt like a little moment of kind of suspended just putting that anxiety aside for just a little bit just like 15 minutes and we went around John Lewis and um picked something out and then you know put it away again in the cupboard and got home mm-hmm that was enough for one day kind of thing but it was yeah I was really glad that we did it yeah nice to have those unbridled moments of of joy I suppose and and let yourself feel that and let yourself I suppose trust your body to some degree and 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 try not for a moment have all of the conflicted feelings from what's happened yeah exactly and feeling just feeling like a little bit more normal I guess Mm. terrible word normal but you know yeah, totally. So, Jenny, would you be happy moving on to a quick fire round? Yes, absolutely. I was trying to actually be quick rather than... <laughs> you don't have to be. No, I think it's really important to talk about all of this in detail. So I am really grateful you've been able to do that. So the first one is, if you could travel back to one moment in your life, which would it be? Um, I... I talk me and my husband talk about this quite a lot the kind of if you could would you so one really tempting one is whether I'd go back to sort of my early 20s and sort of time at all university and sort of when you feel you don't know what you're doing and everyone else seems to be really sorted and you think if I could go back to then knowing what I know now would I would that just make everything better but at the same time, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how helpful it would actually be. <laughs> I think you have to just go through that, um, and sort of. I guess it's that idea of being able to enjoy the freedom that perhaps you have at that stage of life, and maybe don't. I certainly I didn't always appreciate it. Um, no, that sort of sense of your life being wide open, and you've not made any choices yet, and you've not. Um, yeah and there's so much or now looking back it feels like there's so much time um, if I think of the time that I wasted at oh, I know it's easy to go down that rabbit hole and no. regret decisions and think yeah. if I could do it differently I, I would but I suppose yeah in another sense you do have to make bad decisions to get to where you are today it's like if you tug at that thread and actually that's the whole point of that kind of time of your life isn't it and I mm-hmm. I think you, you sort of learn things from that I think so having said all that I think possibly the moment I would go back to would be probably my, my wedding day is that a really boring answer no being able to actually relive that day 
knowing that it you know not worrying about whether the band was going to turn up or um, logistics and it just goes so quickly as everybody told us for you know the year build up and you still don't really believe it and I would it was just it was such a good day anyway um yeah it would be lovely to relive it yeah that's lovely what do you want to get better at this year um (laughs) uh what do we want to get better at this year um it's a tricky one because I feel like I'm (laughs) winding so everything's now pointing towards sort of having well having everything change in life and trying to you know hopefully look after a baby yeah but I think something that I thought about a lot this year and that I started out this year thinking about was trying to um, prioritise prioritise better um, and just sort of enjoying things that were going on around me this you know whether it was my work and not my work or where we lived or mm-hmm. sort of where we are now without sort of putting on the pressure to do more or sort of chase another sort of ambitious work project or whatever it is um yeah I think I don't know how successful I've been at that um but just sort of having a moment to just be I think that's I think that's probably what I've tried to do this year yeah whether I succeeded have a bit more stillness in life yeah where or how do you waste most time um I am very good at doing that thing where you uh have loads of things to do and you're worrying about how you're going to fit them all in and thinking I should have started all these things earlier but then you know thinking about thinking about this all in the shower and oh god I've got loads to do I'm too busy never gonna get it all done and then getting out of the shower and sitting on my bed in my towel, staring at the wall, not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> like, for no good reason. And the other one is probably social media. Yeah. But then it's difficult because I do a lot of things, a lot of the time that I'm on social media, that's also, you know, sort of stuff tied in with my blog. Um, so it's not really that's not and that's definitely not a waste of time that's you know that's always really valuable and kind of meeting people and, and chatting to them through that and mm-hmm. um but there is yeah there's also a lot of like looking at cat videos and other <laughs> other people's kitchens and thinking why doesn't my kitchen look like that <laughs> yeah that's, it's definitely definitely a waste of time yeah, you've talked about the negative and the positive side all in one. <laughs> Such a double-edged sword. Yeah. What would you feel most drawn to writing a book about? Oh, well, this is, I mean, maybe this is a an easy one for me as a writer. I would love to write a book about miscarriage and, um, you know, perhaps expanding this sort of piece that I wrote for The, the Guardian, looking at what the site you know where the science is why we know so little why we don't talk about it all those things Mm. um kind of using my personal experience within that um 
I would like to write that book. Um, yeah, I think, sorry, that's a very, probably very predictable answer. No, I'm sure that book would be really worthwhile and so many people would want to read it. So hopefully one day. Maybe one day, maybe one day. What do you currently find most frustrating about our world, our society? Um, what do I, I mean, where do you start? <laughs> There's so many. So many things. I'm feeling quite I'm feeling quite relaxed about it at the moment, but I think if you'd asked me a week ago, I would have probably said uh, the the government and the UK well the UK government mm. and Westminster government and um, how I mean where do you start? But I'm feeling a bit more relaxed today. Something that does frustrate me, and maybe this is a bit of a, a wishy washy answer, but something that really frustrates me is, and it kind of links with the sort of work I do uh, and something that I've learned, I think, um, in the last few years, is there's this idea that when people say, uh, you bring up a subject and it could be anything, um, you know, you say, oh, I, I'm writing a piece about pancreatic cancer or I don't know, whatever it is. And you, you bring up this subject and they say, well, that's, oh, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Mm. or you know people who are very reluctant to engage with oh I couldn't watch that it was too sad mm -hmm. I I find that quite frustrating because I think I don't re I can't really explain why but I do as an attitude of like that sort of something is too big and too scary or too emotional and therefore I'm just going to ignore it I find yeah. that I don't really understand that. And also I think I think maybe and maybe this is because of something that I've found over the sort of the last few years and sort of the people I've met and stories that have been shared with me. Don't get me wrong, you know, sometimes you do just need to go and read something really light and fluffy and watch a funny video. But I think there's this idea that actually that those stories will always just make you feel worse whereas actually or that your you know your compassion will just be used up mm -hmm. and I don't know that it's true I think it's more like a muscle I think you can build it up and actually that's quite an important life skill maybe yeah to engage with other people's stories and really difficult things and not I mean not hide away from it maybe yeah, exactly I mean I, I really this makes me sound like I'm a complete I don't want to sound like I'm a complete sort of misery junkie that's not what I mean no you don't at all um but I I think yeah I think that's something I find quite frustrating I think we, there is a weird kind of cultural tendency to turn things into positives as well <laughs> And I guess, you know, we've talked about that with people's reaction to miscarriage sometimes. It's kind of, they have to say something like, oh, well, at least you got pregnant at least or just or, you know, it's like we have to turn something into a positive to make it okay, to make ourselves feel safe. Yes, yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's often more about the other person than it is. It's that thing of realising that there can be positive moments or sort of moments of lightness and humor even in situations that are, are really grim and actually 
if you actually listen to because to people I'm not just talking about I'm not just talking about miscarriage or pregnancy loss I'm because of my work I interview people going through all kinds of things and often you know very hopeless sounding situations but actually I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody and they'll be telling you about the worst moments in their life I don't think I've ever interviewed anybody who hasn't made often a very dark but a joke nonetheless you know Mm -hmm. and then this happened and we all laughed and it but we're not always very good at recognizing that that can happen Mm -hmm. Um, but it is definitely there and that's slightly different I think as you say from it's not trying to put a positive spin on it it's just sort of how life goes sometimes like it's kind of horrible and absurd all at the same time yeah and humor can be a great coping mechanism as well definitely and I think actually the more you um just sort of hear those stories and realize it and see it like there's something quite I mean, it's just really cheesy, but there's something kind of life affirming about that, actually, and that people think that it would be, it would you'd be really, you'd end up more depressed, mm. but actually sometimes you think, well, you know, that's that's kind of an amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's been so lovely to speak to you today, and I'm really grateful to you for speaking about all of this and the detail of it all. And I love your writing. I will share the the long read that you wrote for Guardian with the audience and your blog as well. And yeah, just thank you so much for taking the time today as well, amongst everything else and amongst trying to relax. Uh, no, it was a, it was really lovely to talk to you. And I yeah, I feel very honoured to have been asked. Believe me when I pray to keep us far.